That's one way to start a podcast. Well, I figured since we're about to end 2020, and I also figure that since this is our 150th episode, I would crack a beer while we record this episode because um, what a year we've had. It has been awesome and awful all at the same time. This year has seen the demise of many companies. It has seen the birth of new companies. It has seen explosive growth of others. And wow, what a year. All I can say is, uh, yeah, cheers to everybody who made it through this year unscathed. Even if you uh, happen to be caught in the crossfire, lose your job, whatever the circumstances, know that as a community, we will get through this. We're all in this together. And I want to just say to all of you, thank you for the effort and work you've put into the XR industry. It is wonderful. And uh, on behalf of everybody in this industry, we're here for you. Uh, we're here to help each and every one of us get through this together. So I want to just start with that. And moving on, I want to say that 2021 is looking pretty damn amazing to uh, to begin with, for the XR world, we saw a world go into lockdown. We saw teachers try to teach online. We saw the entire uh, economy move online instantly. And we're not going back to the old world the way it was. So the virtual worlds that we know are now serving us in ways of gaming, which they always have. But now expanding that, that whole gaming idea and bringing it into retail. Um, Balenciaga just did this amazing uh, 3D retail experience. It, we're also bringing it into our concerts. We had massive concerts this year by Marshmello and others who attracted millions and millions of viewers. Uh, and not just viewers, but participants. And this is something that I think is really, really cool because people were actively engaged. We saw Burning Man go online this year. And together, as an XR community, there's no better time than right now to blow this up. Uh, our VP of Marketing and Strategy, Alex Colgan, will turn the tables and interview me on what happened in 2020 and what we can expect from 2021. So Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on once again. Uh, it's yeah, it, it's been a hell of a year. Uh, definitely the sort of year that uh, could dr drive one to drink. But I think we're all looking forward to 2021 and, and what it's going to mean for all of us. Uh, I wanted to take this opportunity to uh, look back, uh, not just at the industry, but also at you know Metaverse over the past year. It's been a bit of a rocky road, an exciting road. We've closed uh, a number of different projects. We've made some really major advances on some of the core features. I was wondering if you could uh, maybe talk a little bit about that before we start looking at the big stories of the year. Certainly. Um, I, I think the the biggest thing from us is that in June this year, we launched uh, the Metaverse Engine. And it was something that we we're super proud of. But at the same time, when you look back, if you're not embarrassed by your first release of your product, you released too late. Uh, well, I can say that in the last nine months, we have come leaps and bounds. We have a full universal system now that is, it works on every browser, every device. It works everywhere. And we pushed an update that allows you to do that without having to code. Um, of course, we've always had the JavaScript editor on there, and you can wrap code in five different languages into this. But the ability for non-programmers to participate in the 3D revolution 
I think is the biggest accomplishment we did this year. And I think of all the updates we did, this one truly makes it uh, a universally accessible product to the world. And I'm just super excited about that. And to everybody who worked on this, Walid, our CTO, Paul, our chief product officer, um, Jonathan, our chief commercial officer, who, who takes this and, and brings it to enterprise, and uh, Julie, our chief learning officer, uh, you, Alex, our VP of marketing, thank you. I want to thank everybody, Sergey, our VP of research and development, and of course, Octavia, our creative director. We could not be making this product without each and every one of these people, along with uh, the long list of uh, developers as well that are working on this uh, behind the scenes. So I want to say thank you to everybody at the team. Uh, it's been a wonderful year. What we've accomplished in nine months uh, is just simply incredible. And I cannot wait to make some huge announcements in early 2021 that will set this world on fire. Let's do it. Picking up on Julie, by the way, uh, we've got her on the line. Would love to get her update on the XR Collaboration Project, which we had launched earlier this year uh, to some fanfare and really has just been continuing to evolve behind the scenes. Uh, Julie? Thanks, Alex. Yeah, it's been an exciting year just in change of uh, educating and learning. And I think COVID, what it has really taught everybody is that you need to consistently learn and there's no stopping in learning. And learning every day is so important, especially at a time right now where we need to be so agile about the changes that are happening in our in our ecosystems, whether they be uh, personal, in our personal lives of uh, what we're dealing with or professional. So um, I was proud to be able to pull the XR collaboration project together along with yourself, Alex, and, and some other great partners, coalition partners in the ecosystem, along with Terry Schusler from Deutsche Telekom and Rafaela Carmela from uh, Accenture uh, back six months ago when we, we started to create this project of providing everybody with a resource of how to collaborate online using XR technologies. So the two different components about that, one being the resource guide, just starting to learn about how to meet as an avatar, which hardware to use, the accessibility challenges that are out there, and really... Uh, writing and we produced um, a 65 page resource guide on on how this could take place in your world and also with that we also added a directory of over 70 different xr platforms that are out there that support online collaboration and remote collaboration so really the lessons uh that we learned out of uh, xr collaboration is this new immersive remote way of connecting digitally online and for the majority of the world, it's been that transformation of Zoom and Zoom becoming part of our lives over meeting after meeting. But the future is really taking a plunge into these uh, immersive collaboration platforms and really honing in on that word collaboration. So really proud to be a part of that. And Alex, you were a, an instrumental part of uh, executing that project. Thank you. And uh, some Significant updates coming to it fairly soon, too. Uh, we're recording in mid-December, but this will be coming out much closer to the end of the year. That's right. One of the things I think that is a major challenge as we move towards exponential growth is dealing with a hardware of VR headsets, uh, augmented reality headsets, uh, mixed reality headsets, and what are their best use cases 
and which programs are best used for them. So we're really excited to be launching the, the hardware hub where everybody will be able to come and take a look at these devices. Uh, we look to move them into 3D interactive experiences on the website, and that'll be launched in 2021. But first and foremost is getting this information and resource out there so people can start to learn about this technology, what is out there, what their options are for, for multiple different use cases. Again, it comes back to learning, and uh, that's the focus of XR Collaboration is to provide that. Yeah, and if folks want to be able to access that resource now, they can head over to uh, xrcollaboration.com, the resource guide, the directory, and uh, lots of little uh, extras uh, all there for the taking. Absolutely. And just to highlight a couple of new focuses um, that we're going to be implementing over the next weeks are a focus on resources for parents and families, as well as more accessibility contributions and interactive design for accessibility, which is really exciting uh, as a, a means of inclusivity. So really looking forward to uh, having the support of our team. We're also going to focus on cybersecurity and uh, also on mindfulness, introducing uh, a brand new uh, XR initiative of uh, having the mind boosted and uh, focusing on that healthy mentality. So collaboration comes in all forms, and I'm, I'm proud to be uh, part of helping create this resource for everyone. I think over the past year, one of the biggest pieces has been that Everybody is looking forward to being able to meet in person again. I think everybody is looking forward to being able to shake hands and, and hug and all the rest. But at the same time, we've also been exposed to some of the possibilities and some of the challenges of collaborating at a distance. Everybody's familiar with the bad Zoom meeting and the poor connectivity or everybody sort of struggling to get onto the same page and just staring at uh, flat faces on a screen all day. We've seen how good it can be. We've seen how bad it can be. And I think that's going to create a lot more pressure for uh, these XR collaboration platforms in the new year. Absolutely. And switching over to just the biggest change, I think there's the work challenges that we had, but let's dive into education, which is a huge piece that I've been a part of and understanding just like every other parent watching their kids go through the challenges of, of what's going on in your own household. How is your daughter or son connecting into their classroom? How are they communicating with their friends? Then seeing how the, the teachers are adapting. So I'm opening up a can of worms when it comes to education because there's so many things that need to change. But what COVID has taught us this year is that education needed to change. It was forced to change. And while COVID obviously has a lot of negativity, COVID basically uh, forced that change that was desperately needed to elevate our education to where it needs to be. We're going through a lot of really big challenges right now from uh, understanding that digital network and connectivity support systems are being built as we speak. And I'm happy to say I've been a part of them that are recognizing these bigger challenges of how we're going to support teachers. How are we going to support those new classrooms? How are we going to support families? And most of all, the students. And I think this is the power of 
this change comes back to this technology allows so many stems of education and support and um, outlets for us to continue to be social. It it allows us to continue to be creative and almost draws us in to be creative. And that's what we need most is we need these creativity outlets so that we can be the people who we want to be and, and allow those students to thrive in their places and teachers to be able to teach what they're passionate about. So I think this technology, what it's taught us this year is to embrace it and also to be supportive for one another in a collaborative way. Uh, coming back to my XR collaboration, I don't, we can't do this alone. Nobody can. And XR collaboration introduces that way of thinking, that way of training each other and mentoring each other and, and using that technology to express our creativity. So education has got a lot of challenges. I think we have to be really patient and kind with each other right now as we go through these. And I kind of accepted a while ago, I just thought, you know what, this school year is just going to be all about discovery and figuring out what systems work and also helping those who are very challenged with adapting to digital transformation. But it's certainly... um, highlighted the good in what we need to do for education and building the skill sets for the future of tomorrow. And that's where businesses are changing so quickly. Our our ecosystem of of change is happening so dramatically. And this is where Alan's going to jump in in a minute and, and talk about all of these big changes that have happened in the corporate world. And right behind it, education's trying to adapt to all these changes. Well, why don't we kick that portion of it off, uh, get into the big stories of the year. Um, Obviously, COVID sort of in the background of uh, all of them, but some of the big ones, we saw closures, we saw buyouts, Mm -hmm. we saw acquisitions, uh, we saw some players benefiting from the new environment, we saw other players going completely out of business. Uh, Do you want to dig into some of that? Yeah, it was, uh, I I mean... COVID aside, uh, this is just the way technology goes. Uh, when you have a new technology of the world and it has an explosive start and lots of investment, uh, some things work, some things don't. It's just the natural order of things. Um, but this year was just like, okay, if you weren't doing well before COVID, you're done. You're dead. Done. It just like it expedited the death of some companies. And rightfully, they were going to die anyway. So maybe it's just better that way. It also expedited, I think, a lot of acquisitions by larger companies because there's still a lot of money in the ecosystem. I mean, the the U.S. Fed printed $7 trillion and pumped it into the economy. So there's there's money there. The problem is the larger companies have all of it. And so what they do is they end up buying up all the smaller companies. And so we've seen a lot of acquisitions. And because these acquisitions happened in maybe a time of distress, um, they ended up being a good bargain for the large companies, but maybe not uh, so great for the small entrepreneurs that, uh, that were doing them. But with that, we also saw the pandemic itself wipe out an entire category of this entire industry. So uh, location-based entertainment um, just disappeared. RIP LBE. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sounds like a rap song. But honestly, I mean, that's gone. So you avoid the original location-based entertainment. They were in all sorts of cineplexes. They were in theaters around the world. They had great locations everywhere. They had partnerships with Disney. Gone. Then you had uh, Sandbox uh, VR, which I think it was Andries and Horowitz put a bunch of money in, a bunch of celebrities. It was super awesome. They, They were opening in malls all over. They had a great business plan. Yeah, gone. So... 
they didn't deserve that at all. And there's no way that you could have foreseen that. So the, there has been those types of things. Then you look on the other side and you say, okay, well, that, that's the doom and gloom, but Zoom is worth a thousand X what it was a year ago. Uh, so there's that. And then platforms like Hopin that are worth billions of dollars now. So anybody who had a reasonable platform for video conferencing and, and events and things like this uh, skyrocketed. And so you just happen to have the right timing. If you were location-based entertainment, not so much. But if you happen to have a, a video chat thing, and that we saw this with Spaces. Mm -hmm. This is one unique identifier that sits on both sides. So a group of, uh, called Spaces uh, out of L.A., and they had locations uh, all over the world. I, I actually happened to be a part of the Museum of the Future Accelerator with, uh, with Shiraz. Hey, Shiraz, what's up? Um, these guys, they had a location-based entertainment uh, set up, and COVID hit, and they immediately pivoted all their technology over to creating a plug-in for VR so you could participate in a Zoom call from VR. Pretty cool technology, very straightforward once you see it, it's obvious, but they created it in reaction to not being able to do the real business. And so Apple bought them uh, shortly thereafter. So Spaces was acquired quietly by Apple um, this year. And Apple also earlier this year acquired NextVR, which uh, that company has all the licensing rights to uh, real-time capture in, in 360 of NASCAR and NBA and all of the other sports. Uh, golf, I think, everything. So now Apple has the rights to 360 stream or VR stream sports. So that's pretty cool. So if you kind of look at the, this landscape of acquisitions and, and what's happening, you'll start to see these things happen. Another acquisition that happened this year, which ended up being pretty large, was the Niantic acquisition of uh, 6D AI. Mm -hmm. uh, 6D AI was a uh, cloud mapping uh, system. And it kind of really speaks to Niantic's long-term vision of creating persistent 3D experiences throughout the world. And with their massive success of Pokemon Go, and they launched this year, I believe, Harry Potter, uh, which is a cool game. I got to play it. It's, it's like just a story-driven thing. It's really great. Anyway, if you haven't tried it, try it out. But you've got this uh, amazing company, Niantic, who's making hit after hit, um, but also obviously has a vision for a much larger kind of metaverse, if you would. Um, speaking of things like the metaverse, you have NVIDIA, who just announced Omniverse this week, which is their kind of persistent collaborative platform for high-quality virtual reality running in the cloud. So they're using cloud processing to, to be able to stream that down to you. So there's a lot of big players and a lot of moves being made. Qualcomm announced this year their XR1 chip which is a chip that will power all the new kind of AR glasses and VR headsets. And it's a super powerful chip that will allow you to have uh, AI built in for facial tracking and, and object recognition and these types of things, but also will allow you to have, I think it's up to seven cameras. So front-facing cameras, IR cameras, um, eye-tracking cameras, facial tracking cameras, all of these things. They're creating kind of reference designs for the world to build on. We also saw a growth of AR glasses, um, not in America and not in North America, not in the rest of the world, but in China. China launched this year a slew of different AR glasses, uh, everywhere, everyone from Oppo to Enreal to MadGaze, uh, all launched this year. I believe that there's going to be this really fervent growth of AR glasses as the world starts to make really cool content for it. Uh, right now, China is kind of leading the way. They're, they're putting out the glasses into the world. But there's going to be a, a bit of a barrier to entry to there because creating the content still requires you to code, which is, again, why we created the, the code optional system in the Metaverse engine. But um, 
this is the, the stumbling block is that you need everybody to be able to create this content for these glasses. So that's kind of a high level overview of some of the big acquisitions, big things that are happening this year. Uh, there's a ton more. Oh my goodness, it could go on and on. We have done 150 episodes. This is our 150th episode of the XR for Business podcast. So I just want to uh, say if, if anybody's out there listening, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, for taking time with us uh, every week to, to go through and, and interview and really listen to the industry leaders who are either making or using the technology. Uh, I really want to hear from you guys. Please uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me a message. Uh, let's continue the conversation. I want to know what episodes you want to hear. If there's something you want to learn about, we'll, we'll definitely do that. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes in the future as well. Um, Alex, with that, I know there's been some updates from some of the guests on the show. Yeah, why don't we kick that over? Actually, bringing up China is a good opportunity to sort of highlight some success that we heard from uh, Kai Liang from Mel Science. They recently made their VR education content available on China Mobile's Cloud VR service, which is the first time that a major national telecom operator has invested in the copyright on branded VR education content. A lot of the times they'll pay for movies, they'll pay for entertainment, they'll pay for games. Uh, but this is really the first time that we've seen a significant move towards education. And again, this is within the Chinese market. Uh, Yay. <laughs> we, if, we, if we could only market education like we market Hollywood movies and AAA games, we'll be all right as humanity. Yeah, seriously. There have been uh, 150 episodes with this uh, episode today. We've had over 130 guests talking about what they've been up to. We reached out to them earlier this week, asking them, what was your biggest success in 2020? What was your biggest challenge? And where do you see XR going in 2021? We heard from Alvin Wang Graylin uh, from HTC talking about 2021 and beyond. He wrote that 2020 has helped to highlight the benefits of XR in a major way to many people that were unaware. Uh, the long-term change in user behavior of people around the world to make the world more digitized will only accelerate the demand and adoption for XR globally. Alan, where do you see us going in 2021? And what are some of the core technologies that we're seeing right now that are going to help propel that? So 2021, um, I think <laughs> you have to kind of look where the money, if you follow the money, you'll be able to map out where it's going. 12 months ago, um, I put a prediction on LinkedIn saying that I thought, uh, based on some of the things I was seeing coming out of Unity, that Unity was going to go public within the next 12 months. Uh, that was a year ago. Sequoia put $500 million into them at a $6.4 billion valuation back in uh, December last year. And then fast forward to September 2020, uh, Unity went public uh, at, I think they launched at something like a $24 billion valuation was their kind of launch. And today they're sitting at a forty billion valuation. You called it. Now, yeah, yeah, I did, but I didn't see how much, how big they are now. They are a forty billion dollar market cap company. You are talking about uh, a game engine that makes video games on phones and computers that's worth forty billion dollars. Now, you could say, okay, maybe that's an outlier, but then you look at. Unreal. You look at Epic, and Epic just raised some money as well last year at a, a $17.4 billion valuation. So here you have these two massive game engines driving the content creation, and all these concerts are being built on Epic, and Epic's filming Hollywood movies now because people can't go to sound stages. You're seeing 
the world go digital and the creation tools to make such exploding. And I think this is only going to continue in 2021 because ultimately the manufacturers of the glasses are making them cheaper, better, faster, just all the things. We're, we're experiencing exponential growth in chipsets, right? Five nanometer chips now. If anybody wants to see a, an, an evolution of technology, look at the M1 chip from Apple. Now, as soon as that M1 chip in, let's say, another two years is in your pocket on your phone, it's going to be able to power glasses that are 10 times more powerful than your MacBook. <laughs> this is where we're going. The hardware is just accelerating at an insane pace because you got to remember exponential growth is exponential and we're playing on the backside of the chessboard now. So if you, if, long story, look it up. <laughs> put, a, put a piece of rice on the first board and then double it every time, every square and the second half of the chessboard gets nuts. We are as humanity on the second half of that chessboard. And so everything's compiling on itself. Research into computer vision is exploding. Research into augmented reality, exploding. And so if you follow the money and you follow the technology, what it leads to is I would have said that uh, we were going to go completely phone to face in say 2025 to 2027. That was my prediction. I figured it was going to take five more years to do that. With the fact that there's now millions and millions of AR glasses, very lightweight, inexpensive AR glasses that run off your power of your phone uh, being pumped into the market right now. And with Apple being an outlier, having a whole bunch of technologies that wrap around that eye tracking, they acquired Ventana for occlusion, all sorts of things. They even bought a game engine, Matayo. So you have this technology growing and you have these big players making big long bets on this. Oculus came out with a $300 VR headset that rivals anything in the market. You have HTC in China dominating the Chinese market with their headsets. So I think really... 2021 is uh, is going to be a year of extraordinary growth for 2D platforms. And as people learn to develop 3D games and apps on 2D screens, so phones, tablets, and, and, and computers, that will be the gateway to lead us into the head-worn glasses. And probably mass adoption of that will start in kind of 2023 and progress to 2025. So 2021 is going to be a real time of, of developing really great content for the mobile phones. But you got to understand mobile phones are, there's billions of them and they're growing incredibly fast. Um, in fact, if you look at the entire gaming uh, industry, it's about 165 billion. Half of that is a mobile. So, and that's the most, the fastest growing segment. Yeah, Daniel Blair from BitSpace and actually a couple of other respondents too had said that one of the more interesting byproducts of this year was that more companies than ever are looking at XR technology for solving problems, except for the folks like the LBEs who were tied to in-person events or in-person experiences. It seems like almost everybody else has been more busy as a result. What does that critical mass kind of look like? Because I think if you talk to different people, you hear different years we hit critical mass in 2020, we will hit critical mass in 2021. Is it that we're talking about different definitions of critical mass? I think people are, yeah, I was going to say, there's, what's the definition of critical mass? My definition of mass consumer adoption of the product is the 100 million devices. So when will we have 100 million VR devices in the market? We're probably going to do 20 million this year. I don't know, a couple of years. But people define it different ways. I don't want to, I, I hate making these crazy predictions. Look, we know that everybody in the world has a phone in their pocket. Build for that, knowing that the glasses are going to tether to that. So just know that. <laughs> That's all you need to know. 
and it will probably be delivered from the web because there's a lot of turmoil around app stores right now. So, and, and I don't want to get into that. Well, this is not the podcast for that. We'll, we'll have a whole separate one on that. <laughs> what enterprise clients are looking for now are things that replace face-to-face meetings. And, and training is a big one because you, you can't train people now. You can't fly people in. You can't fly people out. There's a huge problem. And I think it's being solved nicely and, and eloquently with uh, these technologies, um, whether it's AR on a phone or just, just 3D on a phone, being able to look at a machine and look at it from all angles and understand it. One of the projects we, we delivered for um, a large medical device manufacturer was just a simple training application. We took their 200-page manual, we took all their PDFs, all their videos, and turned it into a 3D experience where you could learn to unscrew every nut, bolt, and screw on it and replace the hard drive or the fan or the whatever. You could replace every part, never having read a manual at all. So I could give this 3D thing to anybody over a link. It's just a web link. And you could put it beside the machine and follow step-by-step instructions and by the end, you would be able to replace any part on that machine. That is where this is going, in my opinion. As soon as you see it and try it, you're like, oh, why? We can't go back to paper manuals ever again. You can't unsee that. And I think that once people realize that they can solve a lot of their problems in training, marketing, uh, communications with clients, sales, what about meeting up with a client in a little mall or, or like a little location where you can, it's like a video game, you're playing together, right? And I saw something really cool the other day called Complex Land. To me, this is the absolute future of retail. Look up complexland.com. These guys built a full game world where you could walk around the world fully free and go and just stick your head in places. And it would be a little pop-up store that popped up with maybe new t-shirts. They were able to take the main street economy or or the one and two person shops and give them a global presence and give them a place. And there was other brands, Pradas and stuff like that. So, But there was a lot of independent little stores in there. And I think... It was just a really great way for youth to go and shop in a way that is novel. It's exciting. It, every button I pressed, there was something else happened. There was concerts. It was really cool. They, they mixed art with shopping, music. It was just, it was really, really cool. And it didn't feel corporate-y at all. It just felt cool. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that type of thing. I also wanted to highlight uh, something that we heard from Mike Campbell at PTC, which was really nice. We asked him uh, what his biggest success of the year was, and he wrote, uh, As limitations imposed by the COVID crisis, social distancing, and lockdowns made it hard for frontline workers to do their jobs, the value of the industrial augmented reality market became abundantly clear. At PTC early on, we made the decision to offer our fully functional Vuforia chalk available for free to anyone who could benefit from it during the crisis. This is for remote assistance. Over 25,000 individuals took advantage of that. Uh, The best part was knowing that we were doing our small part to help frontline workers who were struggling in addition to giving them an opportunity to try new technology that they might not have before. Uh, In a year where there's been so much difficulty for everyone, doing our part to make people's lives easier goes in the success column for sure. Oh, man. PTC is an amazing company. It it really is. I I got to go to their conference when we had (laughs) pre-COVID when we had real conferences. Real conferences. With people. Holy crap. Um, I had the distinct pleasure of going to their conference and I met some amazing, amazing people. The speaker, the speaker lineup was insane. Uh, I ended up meeting Jonathan Moss there and DP Prakash and just a whole bunch of wonderful people. I digress. They bought a, a product called Vuforia back from Qualcomm, in, I believe in 2016 or 17. 
anyway, they bought the product and they just, they built an entire ecosystem around this amazing product. And that chalk program is pretty simple when you think about it. If I pull out my phone, it engages the front camera and allows the other person to see what I'm seeing and then draw on my world. Now, what they've been able to do with their object recognition, though, is truly amazing. Not only can you draw on the person's world, but you can leave it anchored there. So if I'm looking at a machine and I hold my phone up and then the expert on the other end can see what I'm seeing and say, oh, there's the screw. They put a little arrow and that arrow stays fixed in 3D space. You know, imagine when you're wearing glasses, that's going to be perfect. But even just with your phone, that is enough to show you how to solve that problem remotely without having to fly somebody in, fly somebody out. Tools like that, uh, like Chalk, and I think Microsoft has their uh, version of it as well on HoloLens and, and other things. Those uh, remote assistance applications are truly magnificent and uh, they don't cost a lot of money. They give it away for free this year. So if you run an operation where you do any sort of manufacturing, you definitely need to have this on all your employees' phones. Yeah, it's just a lot of these technologies that we've been carrying around for so long, which are improving in terms of connectivity, in terms of processing capabilities, in terms of their underlying technologies like cameras, they're really being unlocked for new things. One thing that we heard quite a bit about uh, throughout the course of the year has been this sort of rising tide of 5G. I wanted to know if you wanted to dig into that a little bit. Yeah, 5G. It's faster than 4G, right? <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> so actually, I, I've had was very lucky to be invited to a fireside chat with Deutsche Telekom's head of spatial computing, Terry Schusler. We, we got into why it's important to XR. One of the things that you realize is that the promise of 5G being a thousand times faster or a hundred times faster, whatever it was, was the millimeter wave 5G. And it, there's limited instances when you can do that because it doesn't go through walls. It's, it's a limited bandwidth because it, it really doesn't have a, a line of sight path through glass and walls and things. But in an industrial factory or something where you can have line of sight to all your machines, you now have instant, instant, latent, free, zero latency, uh, not zero, but you get my point, very quick. Near zero latency. And you have the ability to transfer data instantly. This is a game changer for enterprises. Now, what it means for consumers is totally different. Maybe you can download your movies faster, you can do this, but imagine you're uh, a frontline healthcare worker, for example, in a hospital. Now, that person who's in the field can beam out to you, they can put on a pair of glasses, you can see what they're doing, they can walk you through complex procedures instantly with zero latency so that there's not any issues here and you, you can save lives. Like they've also carved out a bandwidth uh, of 5G specifically for emergency services so that they're never affected by too much load on the system. So this is really interesting because you've got kind of these layers of 5G that will serve different parts of the world uh, and communities. If you take it down to how this impacts XR specifically, in order to have a persistent metaverse where we wear glasses and the world just is your computer, there's no way to do that without reducing the latency to effectively less than kind of 50 milliseconds round trip everywhere, or else you'll start to see glitches and you'll, you'll start to feel sick. This is one of the reasons why cloud gaming has always uh, had a bit of a struggle because once you hit any latency in a cloud streaming, uh, it, it really messes it. It gets all pixelated. And imagine wearing that on your face is going to make you even more sick. So until that technology is a little bit further ahead, we're going to be able to beam things like locational data, spatial data, all instantly. And so 5G really is going to uh, empower this. And the other part about it is that as technology gets better, of course, we want to jam more into it. 
you look at the first time I was on the internet, you couldn't do video. Obviously, you couldn't do audio. You could literally type some things. So I used to get emails with, <laughs> remember, remember you get an email? Buffering. Buffering. <laughs> <laughs> you can like walk away from the computer. You get a cup of coffee. You come back. It's mostly loaded. You at least know what it is now. They don't, they don't think about those days. Like, look what we have now. I can instantly watch a 4K video on my laptop and my phone uh, while watching VR all at the same time. Like, it's just mind-blowing. <laughs> We're so old, Alan. <laughs> yeah, when I started university, we had like three computers on the campus. Anyway, um, the long story short about 5G is that it's coming this year. It's really uh, accelerating. T-Mobile bought Sprint this year and, and is really pushing. So the reason why T-Mobile and Sprint merged, actually, Sprint had one part of the bandwidth of 5G uh, and T-Mobile had the other. They kind of put it together. Now they've got the whole thing. So it's really an exciting time. I think 5G is going to be prevalent in, in major cities. Now, we can't also ignore things like Starlink that are also happening. Obviously, you're going to have some serious latency issues if you're trying to do uh, persistent XR with Starlink, but at least this can get to rural areas and at least they can participate in the digital revolution. So I think there's going to be a lot of filling in of the blanks where satellite just is the natural thing. You can't, it doesn't make sense to run cables way out there, but satellite beam is there. So I think we're, we're filling in the blanks for where there's no coverage for high-speed internet. We're in a really good position in 2021 to, um, to really leverage these higher speeds and, and, and higher bandwidths and push the, the envelope in which... One thing I have to say about our metaverse engine is that everybody dismissed the web as a uh, conduit to build and distribute high quality games and experiences uh, just because it sucked. It did. The web just always kind of sucked. We're challenging that status quo. We're, we're able to create very high quality experiences on the web and deliver them through the web. So the benefit to that is you don't have to worry about the app stores. Just publish it hit, and send it to anybody you want instantly. There's some really incredible developers who have done a lot of really stellar work in WebXR. My experience generally has been that uh, the web has been a very long time in catching up for a number of different reasons. The browser is a very constrictive sandbox, and there were a lot of workarounds that had to happen. Uh, JavaScript is not especially well-optimized as a language. But there have been some really incredible things done beneath the surface of the browsers themselves. Chrome and Firefox and others have really come a long way. Uh, a lot of the core libraries have really been uh, expanded and extended out. And we are really finally now starting to see the dawn of some really strong web experiences that are not just visual toys or experiments, but compelling environments. Agreed. That complex land was all running on the web. It was amazing. It's crazy what you're able to do now. And, and I think people dismissed the web for a long time, but I, I think it's, uh, it's having its renaissance moment because it's literally so universal. Everybody's on the web. I mean, I, I have Slack, but I don't open the Slack app. I just have it as a tab on Chrome. Everything that I do on, on my daily basis is just a bunch of tabs across the top of my Chrome. I, I don't open anything else hardly. Well, Zoom opens an app, but I mean, I'm sure they don't even need to do that. Yeah, you know, two words as far as web is concerned, and I know you're going to love this, 30%. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the app stores take their <laughs> thing. And actually, we're going to see some interesting things. Epic sued Apple and Google this year over the duopoly of the app stores. Uh, that was in response to Apple kicking Fortnite off the, uh, off the app store when 
Epic pushed a, an update that allowed you to bypass the Apple Store and buy it from Epic directly, which violates Apple's terms and conditions. So there's there's that. I mean, Epic took on the Goliaths of the industry. Now, Epic's not a small company. Don't feel bad for them, but they're they're a seventeen billion dollar company. Apple's a one point seven trillion dollar company. That's a thousand times larger. Um, so <laughs> that battle is still ongoing in 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 different forms. Where do you see that going in twenty twenty one? Well, the courts, I believe, are going to see it in. I want to say June. I can't. I can't remember. I'll look it up while we're talking. But I, I think um, Epic v Apple. Just Google it. I, I actually wrote a whole article called "Could Web-Based Game Engines Be the End of the App Stores?" Um, we'll put it in the show notes. And in there, I, I've actually been just keeping it up to date with all the news. So I just, <laughs> I just use it as my place to keep all the news for this. The other big news that we've got just recently has been uh, this lawsuit by the FTC that's uh, a direct shot across Facebook's bow. It's blocked uh, the sale of Oculus um, because in German law, you can't have one product that forces you to, to get another to have it. And uh, Oculus forces you to get Facebook to have Oculus. So 2020 has been a year where the giants have really been enriched uh, despite the COVID pandemic. But in the tail end of the year, it does seem like uh, there are some significant breakup efforts underway by regulators and uh, by other players within the industry. I mean, Facebook is going to get broken up for sure. Apple, I don't know how they've managed to, to stay out of the kind of crosshairs, but with this epic lawsuit, who knows what's going to happen? We have a different leadership coming in and one that is more in tune to the needs of the people, it seems like. Uh, and the needs of the people is higher taxes on larger corporations. And so we'll see what happens. This is for the U.S. courts to decide, but I, I would I would predict that there's going to be some breakups of these companies, similar to the Microsoft breakup uh, back in the you know, 2000s or 90s, I guess. Um, so I think we're, we're in for some interesting uh, cases. Maybe it's time because if you look at everything that's happening in the startup world, startups are just getting gobbled up or put out of business. There's no in between right now, so it's hard to uh, it's hard to compete with the glass of the, of the industry. I think it will also be interesting to see how the Biden administration handles these companies. Um, Kamala Harris was uh, California's attorney general. Uh, she has Wall Street and Silicon Valley support. She's known as being somewhat moderate. Uh, as far as going after big business is concerned. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to see uh, to what extent they might end up having some teeth, uh, especially moving into the next four years and considering what uh, Facebook has done to American political life. If you haven't seen The Social Dilemma, watch it. And if you don't delete your Facebook, you should. Um, but having said that, I have nothing against Facebook. They, the people that work there, the, the company itself had not one malicious thought. It's a consequence of building a platform that billions of people use. There's going to be bad actors all over the place and you have to work on that. Um, have they done enough to, to curb that? I don't know. That's for other people to decide, but inherently the people that work there, they don't want to see the place they work at create turmoil in the world and, and create problems where there was none. So I think they're they're going to take a hard look inside and, and try to fix some of these problems. Um, but maybe breaking them up isn't a bad idea, even for the shareholders. When Standard Oil was broken up in the uh, 1900s, early 1900s, uh, it became uh, 20 different companies, I think it was. And each one of those companies became bigger than the Standard Oil that broke up. Same thing with the telcos. 
so breaking up maybe maybe will uh, kind of add some variety and spice uh, to to the world and, and just kind of shake things up a bit. I don't know. I don't I don't know it's a bad thing. Yeah, there's there's something stultifying about being so big. When Apple goes from taking thirty years to become a trillion dollar company and taking twelve months to become a two trillion dollar company, come on, this is crazy. Yeah, just sort of um, like a little bit offside, Alan. I don't. I think we really covered quite a few things. Is there anything that we feel like we sort of left off? I think, or do we want to move to the wrap up? I don't think there's anything else left. Not nothing major, really. Um, that we missed. Is there anything major that we missed? I think we're good. Like it. It's one of those years where it was a year where centuries happened, but. Before we uh, close out, uh, we should take a moment to thank uh, all of our past guests who took the time to write in and give us some of their feedback on the year that was and the year that we're moving into. Uh, we're going to be uh, posting uh, an article with some more of uh, your feedback as well as uh, tweets throughout the last week of the year, just highlighting uh, some of the people's thoughts and stories uh, book recommendations uh, from Terry Schusler. Uh, if you haven't read Flatland before, uh, give it a read. I've read it through three times, and uh, I see new things in it each time. <laughs> yeah, thank you to the people who were on the show, but also to you guys for, for taking the time to listen to it. Um, it really means a lot. And um, again, please feel free to reach out. I just I, I want to be uh, part of a community uh, that, that helps each other, and so um, I hope we can all help each other. If there's anything that I can help with you, please let me know. And on behalf of everybody at the Metaverse team, I want to say thank you and Merry Christmas and a huge Happy New Year to everybody. Let's close off 2020 with a bang and let's look to the future with bright rosy glasses because I think the future is bright. We're going to need shades. I'm Alan Smithson, the host of the XR for Business podcast, and this has been our 2020 wrap up. Thank you so much. Happy New Year.